Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I want to have glasses on so I can help me kind of read a little bit. So I'm going to kind of go back and forth with them today. Um, we're in the middle of the sermon series that we've been doing and Philippians. We're looking at finding joy. And I want you to remember that's the theme of this whole thing. And Paul's trying to help us get there. Okay, and, and there's, we've talked about a lot of things so far, but just to keep kind of in tune with the theme that we've been doing this whole time, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to ask them this question. Are you a complainer? Let's do that for about 20 seconds, and then attention back up this way. Okay, perfect, perfect. I wanted to ask you that question this morning for the simple reason that complaining is one of the fastest ways known to man to kill our joy. In fact, not only does it kill our joy when we start complaining, it has this miraculous ability also to destroy the joy of everybody around us when we start complaining. But the problem is, so often, is it's just a hard thing to stop, isn't it? We get kind of trending in going on this. That discussion there, I mean, it was funny, but we recognized some of it, didn't we? I mean, that's our home sometimes. And once you get going in it, once you start trending negative, it's a hard habit to break. Why? Because most of us are naturally negative people. We talked before about how studies say that we're naturally trending negative, more and more negative in America. Part of that's just our human nature. We tend to look at the bad things in life. We are conditioned by society. I mean, just watch the TV. Bad news makes headlines. Have you ever wondered why there's not more good news on TV? It's because people wouldn't watch it. What attracts us is the bad news. We want to be scared. We want to be alarmed. We want to look at the things that are negative. That's what gets our attention. If it was always good, according to the ratings, we'd never watch it. And so as a result, by our own nature and by our own conditioning, the stuff that surrounds us, the stuff that we keep putting in, remember, garbage in, garbage out, we tend to develop a habit of complaining in our lives. And I think it's getting worse. For questions, just watch the national uh, campaign that's going to be happening pretty soon. I mean, if the primaries weren't enough for you, I, I promise you, it should get worse. And yet the Bible says, Paul says, God says, that God wants Christians to be different than that. I think so often, you know, and Paul's awesome. He talks to us just right where we are, right to the things that we experience on a regular basis. Even as we watch the video, it's not so far from where our homes are at times. And yet in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, Paul just writes this. He says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. And so if this is true, right, then what does God's word have to say to us about dealing with the complaining in our life, with this habit of complaining that just seems so ingrained in how we live life that it's hard to figure out how to stop it? And yet one of the things that God makes very clear from the very beginning, right, Paul does, we've got to stop this kind of habitual complaining in our lives. It's not good, it's not right, it's not okay, it's sinful, it's wrong. And so to talk about this today, I want to kind of go through the four most common types of complainers that I know. I'm not going to use names, but I will name them, not with names, but with what they look like. And then 
I want to talk about how God and Paul try to help us through this process. I think one of the most common complainers that I know is called the whiner. And you see this in scripture too. These people kind of wake up negative. They rise and they whine, right? David, for example, there's plenty of experiences of him all the way through the Psalms where he's whining. In Psalm 73 verse 13, he says this, have I been wasting all my time? I mean, why take all the trouble to be pure? All I get out of it is trouble and woe. The telltale sign of a whiner is it's not fair. I don't deserve this. Everybody else gets all the breaks. Why don't I get any of the breaks? Or again, in the gospel reading we read, they took their money and started grumbling against their employer. We put up with a whole day's work in the hot sun, and yet you paid them the same as you paid us. Life isn't fair. I have a newsflash for you. God never promised that life would be fair. Do we get that? We have referees in sports to try to make it fair. We, we have police. We have armies to try to keep life fair, but life isn't fair. It will be fair in heaven. He will settle the score in heaven and hell. I promise he will do that. But as long as we complain about the fact that life isn't fair, two things will be true. No, number one, that it will only make you more miserable. And number two, it won't change the fact that life sometimes isn't fair as we walk through. And we can either acknowledge that and roll with it, or we can just get on the bitter train and keep complaining and complaining and complaining that nothing ever seems to work out. Which leads us to the next one, which is the martyr. Favorite phrase is, no one appreciates me. In Numbers 11, Moses has a moment of the martyr, and he says to the Lord, why pick on me, Lord, giving me this burden of this people like this? I can't carry this nation by myself. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. Kind of like the video. It will be a kindness. Let me out of this impossible situation. In other words, these people are pros at having pity parties. Woe is me. Nothing's going right. And they are sick or under pressure. They just want everybody to know about it. Let me tell you how bad my day was. Let me tell you how bad my circumstances are. And over and over and over they go. Then there's the cynic. Favorite phrase is, nothing will ever change, right? When you look at politics today, don't you tend to be a cynic? Nothing is ever going to change. Ecclesiastes 1, 2 through 4 and 9, it says, Life is useless. Solomon, having a moment of this. Life is useless. You spend your life working, and what do you have to show for it? The world just stays the same. What has been done before will be done again. That last phrase reminds me of parenting and picking up after your kids. What is on the floor will be on the floor again. Does it even matter if I pick it up? I don't know. But you get that. And then finally you get the perfectionist. Nothing is ever right for this person either. It's never good enough. Favorite phrase is, is that the best you can do? Proverbs 27 verse 15, it says, A nagging wife is like water going drip, 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 drip on a rainy day. Proverbs 21, 19, better to live out in a desert than with a nagging or complaining wife. But this refers to husbands too, by the way. Nagging perfectionists. Nothing is ever right, always arguing. I was talking to a guy the other day and he says, man, I just went through this phase. I would come home from work. I was still stressed about work. I didn't have a long enough drive home. I'd come and I'd still yelling at everybody, you know, pick up this. Why isn't this done? Where are we going over here? And he said, my wife came to me one, one time and she said, if you're just going to leave us, please let me know. And it was a wake-up call for him. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm never going to do that. I, I love you. <laughs> 
But he realized that what he was doing is he was coming in and making everybody miserable, and he had to change. So not surprisingly, nothing destroys the warmth of a home faster than complaining. Nothing destroys the harmony of a marriage faster than complaining. Why? Because nagging doesn't work. It just doesn't. It just makes everybody upset. It just exacerbates the situation. And so if this describes us, and the Bible says do everything without complaining or arguing, how do you do that? How do you conquer the problem of complaining in your life? Paul this morning gives us some things to think about, four things in particular, and they're kind of a process. And he says, it just has to start with admitting it's a problem. I think it's so rampant in our culture, we just pretend it's just the way it is. We've got to admit it's a problem, maybe more than that. I don't think I was specific enough there. We need to admit it's a problem for you. Not just for other people, but for you. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. You know that whole part that I tried to share after the confession this morning? And if we don't take the confession seriously, if we don't take our sins seriously, number one, we'll never overcome it. But number two, we'll never experience the grace, the forgiveness, the renewing of God in our life. And that's what gives peace and hope and joy and, and strength and all those things to tackle life as we know it. It says again here in Proverbs 28, He who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, it says he gets another chance. God is a God of the millionth chance, right? Not just second chances, but the millionth. And I think often the most difficult part in learning to handle our complaining is just recognizing it in ourselves. But just think about it. If somebody recorded you for a week, just went around with their iPhone or a recording device or whatever it is, what would it reveal about your speech? How much time do you spend griping or, or grumping or complaining or arguing or saying just life stinks? And so you've got to start by just saying, it's a problem. It's a problem for me. Then I want you to notice the words admit and confess in this verse. Because complaining isn't just a bad habit, it's a sin, right? I, I think sometimes we just kind of gloss over stuff because it's so prevalent in our own lives that we just say, well, but God says it's a sin. We need to confess it. It's a sin and it's serious. Complaining, by the way, was the sin that kept the Israelites out of the promised land. That's a big sin. God destroyed them in the desert because they grumbled. Seven times, Scripture says, they murmured, and they kept on murmuring. And the reason some of the children of Israel never got into the promised land was because they kept complaining. And every time, God would get mad. I mean, you read through, the, you read through, the, through Numbers, God would get mad. Are they complaining again? Are you kidding me? Should I just destroy them and start over with you, Moses? God doesn't take this lightly. It's a big deal to him. That's how serious God says what we're talking about is. And so he says the first step is always to admit it. And then he goes to a second step. And this will help us. We need to accept responsibility for our own life. Man, we live in a society that puts it on everybody else. But God says we need to put our responsibility on ourselves. When we go up to heaven and we stand before God to give an account of our life, guess what? God's not going to say we can blame it on anybody else. We don't get to blame it on our parents, on our neighbors, on our friends, on our coworkers. He's just going to judge us on what we've done. I think many times complaining is just an attempt then to blame other people for the problems that I've created or to excuse myself and put the focus on somebody else. I brought the problem into my life. I caused the problem, but if I complain about it, maybe I can shift the focus onto somebody else and it will make them feel maybe just a little bit better. 
And so we like to pass the buck. It makes us feel better. It just does. In Proverbs 19.3, it says, Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes and then blame the Lord. Have you ever talked to somebody who's angry at God because of something that they did? And they're suffering the consequences that they did for what they did? And they're mad at God because he allowed it to happen? It's crazy how often we blame God for the stuff that we've done or the consequences that we're experiencing because of the stuff that we've done. We just don't want to accept that it's us and we don't want to accept that it's our fault and so we keep blaming God so that we don't have to change. Many times complaining is just an excuse to be irresponsible, to not accept the fact that I caused the situation in the first place. It's like the old saying, we reap what we sow. And when I do reap what I sow, we have no legitimate right then to complain about the results anymore. God says to all mankind, you are free to choose what you want to do in life. And this is the price for admission right here. This is perspective giving. So pay attention. God says to all mankind, you are free to choose what you want to do in life. God has given you the freedom of choice. It's an amazing freedom. But once you've made those choices, you are no longer free. Does that make sense? You're free to make the choice, but you're never free from the consequences of that choice. When we sin, there's always a consequence. When we do right, there's always a positive consequence. I hear so many people complaining, for, just as an example of this, about debt, about being in debt. But is it just possible that maybe you were the ones that made the irresponsible choices about spending and saving? That maybe you made a purchase that maybe you really shouldn't have? I hear people all the time saying, I'm just not appreciated at home. But again, maybe, might it be the case too that you don't appreciate others at home. We reap what we sow. And whatever you want in life, God says you've got to give it out in life. It's just a principle that he set up. It's an inviolable rule of God. If you want to be friends, then here's the deal. You've got to learn to be friendly. If you want appreciation at home, then you've got to learn to give out appreciation at home. If you want to be put first in your marriage, then you have to start putting the other person first in your marriage. We reap what we sow. We have to start owning the decisions we make in life. That's what he says. And then after we've done that, he goes to this third part. and He says, then we have to develop an attitude of gratitude. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it gives us God's will for our life. Are you ready? It says this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. You can look it up in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you ever want to know what God's will for you is, here it is. God says, I want you to be thankful in all situations. Now, he doesn't say, I want you to be thankful for all situations. That's just not, doesn't make any sense. You can't be thankful for all the circumstances in life. But you can be thankful in the situation how? By remembering that God is working all things for the good in your life. That even though what happened is not good, but somehow God can work it so that it can be good in the end. That he has a pattern and it fits even the bad things into our life into a pattern for good in our life if we love Jesus. See, God's purposes for my life then is this. His purposes are always greater than my problems. God's plan for our life is always greater than the difficulties, and so I can give thanks in everything that I go through. Not for everything, but in the midst of it. In reality, then, it all depends, again, on how we look at it, on perspective. Now, if that's true, then there are things in all of our lives that we're not satisfied with. It's true. There are some things in your marriage that you don't like. There are things in your business, habits in yourself, your mate, your children, your boss, that you just wish were different. 
But I believe there's also some things in those situations and in those people that are good that you could learn to be thankful for, that you could focus on the positive and not always on the negative. See, the Bible says that Christians are to be different. I mean, I would, if I were to ask you, how many just plain and simple encouragers do you have in your life? It's less than one handful, isn't it? And just plain encouragers that every time they see you, they're giving you an encouraging word, a motivational speech. You can go get them. Life is good, you know. We just don't have very many, and yet that's what God calls us to be, to be encouragers. Not to deny truth, but to encourage people through a very difficult life. We are to do everything without complaining and arguing, Paul says, so that we may be sons of God, blameless and harmless, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation in which we shine as lights of the world. In other words, we should stand out in a crowd. We should shine like lights in this, in this culture of ours. We should be different, a good different for Jesus. And then he goes in this last one, and if we have this attitude of gratitude, and we know that's hard in the midst of circumstances, then this last one is simply this, that we have to start looking for God's hand in the midst of the circumstances. If we're going to be joyful, happy in the midst of them, then we have to see God's hand in it. And so if you want to get victory over complaining, look for God's hand in your circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Paul writes, The small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. So we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. What is seen only lasts for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. And so Paul's just saying this, there are problems that come into our lives, no doubt. But the way you look at them always will determine your attitude. How does the people realize that God is controlling even their circumstances? No matter how bad things get, do you realize that God tells Satan just how much and how far he can go on any one of the problems? That he doesn't allow any problem to sweep us away, even though we feel like sometimes the water's lapping over our heads. He doesn't let Satan go so far as to sweep us away. He never sets us up for failure. He always gives us a way out. And God is fitting everything into a pattern for good for those who follow him. That is not true for all those that don't follow him. Does that make sense? But for those who love him, he is fitting everything into a pattern for good, even the difficult, even the hard, even the crummy stuff. And his purpose is always greater than those difficulties. The reason why over and over in the Bible we are told not to complain is this, is that complaining is in essence rebellion against God. When I complain about my circumstances that are beyond my control, what I'm really saying is this, if I were God, things would be so much better. If I were in charge, the whole human race would be so much better. And that's why God gets upset. Remember back in the wilderness, God gave them manna, fed them every day. All they had to do is go pick it up. No hunting, very little gathering since it was outside your tent, enough to sustain them forever. And what did the people do? They started complaining. And God is saying, are you kidding me? You're out in the middle of this desert. There's no way there's enough food for you. There's not enough animals. There's not enough plants. Are you kidding me? I'm sustaining you. I'm providing you to the place where you're full and they're complaining, we want meat. So he gave them some birds, just brought them in. I don't know where he got them, but he brought them in, so they had meat. And even then, they began to complain. In fact, often the things that I personally complain about the most are often the very things that God knows I need the most in order to become all that he wants me to be. When we start complaining, when we start trending negative, it, all it is is a warning light 
saying that something's not right. Something's wrong here. Let's change it. Let's stop complaining. Let's start changing. And because the only way truly that you change other people in your life is when you yourself start to change. And then they have to change because you've changed the relational dynamic. You no longer respond in the same ways. Paul says again, Be children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars of the universe. So let me just ask you, what would your business look like if everybody start, stopped complaining tomorrow? Wow is probably the exact thing. What would happen in your home if your family made a pact that they wouldn't complain, be critical, or tear each other down anymore? Would it be better? What I do know is this. The last week we looked at verse 13 where it said this, For God is at work in you to will and to act according to his purpose. And the first thing that he talks about after he talks about God working in us is complaining. And so how do you know if God is working in your life? first clue is you check your attitude. And as we do, we realize very quickly that we need a power that's greater than ourselves, that we need Jesus. Jesus in every way is the antidote to our culture. He shows us a better way, a, a way that we can experience hope and peace. Okay, and if you think you don't need those, think politics, hope and peace and strength in the midst of all adversity, in the midst of, think doctors, hope and peace and joy in the midst of difficulty. He changes the dynamic of our world. He's also the antidote to our nature that trends negative, that trends in an unhelpful way, and God desires us to live a better, a healthier, a forgiven life. And he makes us new people by forgiving us and saying your past is now clean. Go live differently in the future by healing us, by renewing us from the inside out, and the reality is, guys, we need that. We desperately need that if we're ever going to experience joy, true joy in our life. A joy of remembering that God's got it no matter what. A joy of remembering that God is near to me and cares about everything that's going on in my life. A joy of knowing that one day I'll be with him forever and eternity. And so those are Paul's words to us today. May they change your life forever. And all God's people said... Amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. And we talked about something today that, uh, you know, not anybody in this service does, but certainly we see it all around the world today. And Father, we just pray help us. Help us in the midst of our struggles with negativity, with complaining. It very seldom, if ever, makes things better. It poisons our heart toward seeing things that are actually good. And it destroys relationships. Father, give us a renewed perspective. Breathe your Holy Spirit into us to a place where we first recognize that this complaining stuff, that this negativity is evil and wrong. It's not from you, it's from Satan. It's meant to make our lives harder, to destroy our lives, to poison our lives. And then give us a perspective and a strength to choose to be different, to choose to look at the good in life, to be thankful even in the midst of the difficult, and then to remember that you still got us no matter what. That you're working all things for the good of those who love you. That you've got us still in your hands even when it's hard to see that. And that one day, because of all that, we'll be with you. Father, strengthen us, heal us, and renew our perspective. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.